Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And we also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. They are Timmins Gold, Bravada Gold Corp., Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, Sand Gold, SGX Resources, and Uranium Energy Corp. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Dr. Karen Houdis. Uh, Dr. Houdis is an international lawyer and development economist who, uh, whose practice focused on financing of development projects, judicial and legal reform, nonprofit organizations, corporate law, and dispute resolution. Uh, Dr. Hudis uh, studied law at Yale Law School and economics at the University of Amsterdam, and she worked uh, in the U.S. Export-Import Bank uh, of the U.S. from uh, 1980 to 1985, uh, and in the legal department of the World Bank from 1986 to 2007. She established the Non-Governmental Organization Committee of International Law Section of the American Bar Association and the Committee of Multilateralism. Uh, and the accountability of international organizations of the American branch of the International Law Association. She has managed judicial reform and legal reform projects in various continents and coordinated projects with bilateral and multilateral donors, uh, donor agencies, including global uh, partnerships between the World Bank and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, World Health Organization, and UNICEF. Uh, Dr. Hudis spent 20 years as a Senior Legal Counsel uh, in the Legal Department of the World Bank, as I think I just mentioned, and I would also like to just mention uh, before we in, before we start talking to Karen that you uh, should go to her website. It's K A Hudes. It's H U D E S K A H U D E S dot net. Welcome, uh, Doctor Hudes, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. 
Really good to have you. Uh, very, very interesting. I think uh, I just learned to know you, know about you within the last oh, few weeks or so. Um, it, it seems as though it shouldn't have had to be through the Internet. It seems as though I should have seen you with your background and all the things you've accomplished. Uh, it seems to me that we should have seen you uh, on one of the major networks, but that hasn't seemed to uh, to work out, at least until now. Uh, you know, Karen, there's a passage from the book of James that I have posted uh, in my newsletter that I send out to my subscribers, and it ends uh, with a statement that, quote, anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin, end of quote. In my mind, a sin is a word that has religious connotations, but for those who are not believers or religious uh, or, or believers in a transcend, uh, transcendent being, uh, the word sin is defined as, quote, any reprehensible or regrettable action, behavior, lapse, etc., a great fault or offense. So what sins or regrettable actions at the World Bank uh, have you been trying to make citizens around the world aware of? Well, starting out with just enforcing the laws. Um, the World Bank issues $180 billion worth of bonds on the capital markets, and it's huh. every bit as responsible for having accurate financial statements as any other issuer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the World Bank had severe control lapses, not just the ones that I was aware of, but the ones that um, other colleagues became aware of, um, it was my job as a lawyer in that organization to report the um, deficiencies up the corporate ladder, and I was a candidate for general counsel, and I had to report that to the executive search firm. When they interviewed me, they said, why is it that there's a revolving door for general counsels? I said, that's mm-hmm. very simple to explain. It's because there is um, the World Bank is out of compliance on the capital markets. And mm-hmm. if you're an executive search firm for the position of general counsel and you hear those magic words, you are required to end whatever those deficiencies are. That's part of your job description as mm-hmm. an executive search firm. And mm-hmm. th- that didn't happen. And at that point, that was when I, um, I knew that I had to keep going with whatever it took to end the cover-up. Because the the special thing about the World Bank is it's not just any old issuer. It's got 188 member countries. The U.S. Uh-huh. has 16% of the membership. But this, this meant that the World Bank was out of compliance in 52 different currencies and also in each and every state in the United States. And I have been working together with the attorneys general under the Blue Sky Laws. So this uh, – the, the – the problem that this dragged on this long, um, that was the biggest problem. That was the biggest eye-opener because I thought the minute I told the executive search firm that we had this problem, that my my job was, was basically finished. And mm-hmm. then at a certain point, I met with the Serious Fraud Office of the United Kingdom. And the Serious Fraud Office called up the SEC. That was in October of 2010. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem didn't resolve then either. And that's when I knew that we were in for a very heavy, serious sledding because that, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand who was responsible for this problem until relatively recently. And that was when um, I read a very accurate study that was put out by the uh, Federal Institute of Technology 
in Zurich, Switzerland, that uh, university is known as the number one university in Europe. Uh, three mathematicians slash systems analysts had very accurate data on ownership of the 43,000 transnational corporations in the capital markets. And I'll, I'll be very happy to share that study with your listeners. What it said is that um, when you look at the capital markets, uh, 40% of the assets, asset value, and 60% of the uh, income per annum is mm-hmm. controlled by this group and through very clever corporate um, interlocking corporate directors, they have succeeded in um, establishing what the authors of this study call a network of corporate control. So what happened with uh, the LIBOR scandal, we're not talking about separate banks. They're all interconnected Mm. in one conglomerate. Okay, well, uh, so so there's a small group of people uh, or small number of corporations, at least, that seem to render an undue amount of power. That's what you're saying. And they would have an influence then on the workings at the World Bank. That is, they would have some influence uh, and, and cause the World Bank not to be in compliance. That's an understatement. Mm-hmm. These, th- this conglomerate owns and monopolizes the press, the media, in not only the United States, but in France and in the U.K. So the reason you hadn't heard about me is because there was a conspiracy of silence. It was not for want of trying. I have a very well-documented um, uh, series of communications with um, as things progressed and got worse. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that happened was um, the U.S. lost its credibility Uh, There was something called the Gentleman's Agreement for 66 years since the founding of the World Bank in 1944 until 2010. The United States could just handpick whoever it wanted to be the president of the World Bank, and the Europeans could do the same thing for the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. Mm -hmm. And um, that ended in 2010, but I could tell that it was going to end because the World Bank is also a knowledge bank, and there are very good um, uh, purveyors of technical assistance that come to try to get their um, technical assistance incorporated in World Bank projects. And one very accurate uh, piece of software is something called, um, uh, it's a, they call it a stakeholder analysis. What it does is it uses computer game theory modeling mm-hmm. and the insight of political scientists uh, and Yasek Kugler, who's at uh, Claremont University in California, came and, you know, uh, somebody had told me about this very accurate um, modeling. This modeling was uh, developed in the defense industry. Mm-hmm. And whenever there was a disagreement between the analysts in the defense industry and the model, the model would win. It's mm-hmm. 90 to 95 percent accurate. And so we modeled rule of law in 2004. And this model predicted that the U.S. was going to lose the gentleman's agreement if we didn't start playing by the rules. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the U.S. Treasury Department in 2007. I showed them this very accurate model. And I said, we have got to clean up our act or we will lose the gentleman's agreement, which is a very – it it shows that the United States is looked upon and respected as a leader. And we lost that respect through 
the kinds of shenanigans that I can I can tell you about. But it's not just me. I was working together with a network of other uh, whistleblowers, other professionals. Some of them don't call themselves whistleblowers. They just did their job, followed the rules of professional conduct, and uh, ran into difficulty because of this corruption that was emanating from this group. But when you said this group was monopolizing the World Bank, it was not only monopolizing the World Bank. The, the, the sad news is that it managed um, what, we could, what we call state capture, and that is the very institutions of government were captured mm-hmm. by this group and mm-hmm. compromised and corrupted. And you are suggesting also that this group has control of the media. I should think if it's a small number of, of uh, corporations that have control of a larger number of corporations that are so dominant in our economy that uh, we certainly have seen, even though you have the Internet and, and dispersion of, uh, of media, you, the, it's still the big uh, handful of major media outlets that, that are considered to be the credible outlets in America. So if you see something on CNBC, ABC, uh, CNN, uh, you know, those major networks, people tend to think those are the truth tellers. Those are the true, uh, th- that's where you get your truth. And if, if something's said on the internet, oh, well, it's on the internet. Who cares? You know, anybody can say anything on the internet. But of course, uh, the, the guys that we see, the big guys are the ones that are supposedly vetted or truthful and honest. They are our government speaking. They are the licensed uh, I, I think they're propagandists, but nonetheless, isn't that the way people think? So you're talking to me here on the Internet, and I'm glad you are. You've talked on several other Internet programs, and I'm, glad, and I'm really glad you have. I honestly believe that you find the truth a lot of times not in the mainstream, but out on the fringes because uh, the mainstream is trying to protect its, its protected interests. But let's get back to this issue. Help me understand a little better. $180 billion worth of bonds, the World Bank uh, uh, has has issued. So, what is what's improper? What is being handled improperly? The reporting, the finances of the uh, of the World Bank of those bonds, or, or what is what is what is not being done straightforward in the way it's supposed to be done? Well, to start off, um, they were overcharging their borrowers on interest. Uh huh. And the Joint Economic Committee wrote a very. Uh, uh, adamant letter in 2005 to the World Bank saying that uh, there was no reason to think that the board had accurate information on the World Bank's finances. And they demanded uh, certain corrections to be taken, including that any lawyer or accountant that um, had anything to report should be given access to uh, external arbitration. Because Mm -hmm. if you're an employee in the World Bank, you cannot uh, bring a lawsuit against the World Bank. I knew that, and I bought a World Bank bond so that uh, the World Bank was not immune from my litigation. I had recommended to the audit committee, uh, I can tell you about the, um, the, the corruption that I had documented and that was covered up to the board. Uh, that was uh, a case in the Philippines mm-hmm. where uh, the president, uh, Joseph Estrada, was ultimately impeached for corruption in 2007. But in 2000, when I was... Uh, the lawyer on a financial sector project, uh, what Estrada did was he um, allowed the borrower in default, a personal friend of his, Lucio Tan, who owned Philippine Airlines, he allowed Lucio Tan to buy um, control over Philippine National Bank. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the World Bank project 
could not be, uh, the conditions in the project couldn't be met. And I requested the, the man in charge of the Philippines program in the, in the World Bank to notify the government that the World Bank could not disperse the balance of the project, which was $200 mm-hmm. million. Dollars. And mm-hmm. what happened was the, uh, the man in charge of the program had me reassigned which mm-hmm. um, I didn't appreciate. So I went up to Jim Wolf- Wolfenson, who was the president of the World Bank at the mm-hmm. time, together with the man who represented the Dutch uh, government. He was the chairman of the Committee on Development Effectiveness. And uh, at the end of every project, the um, project is supposed to be evaluated and the report made available to the board. And the evaluation on that project said that the World Bank could not have foreseen the fact that uh, there was a run on the bank and the government of the Philippines had to bail out Philippine National Bank for $500 million. Hmm. And then there was matching Japanese financing. So that was $900 million worth of project problem project. Hmm. And yet the board was told that the World Bank supervision of that project had been satisfactory. So I went together with the Dutch executive director to Jim Wolfenson, and we told him that the board was being lied to, that the evaluation needed to be corrected. That evaluation has never been corrected. Um, Jim Wolfenson's response was to tell my boss that I had been up there behind his back to complain about him, and Mm. I was put on probation. Um, Mm. That was in 2005, but um, I didn't end up getting pushed out the door until I went to the Senate Committee uh, on Foreign Relations, which at that point was chaired by um, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton was on that committee, and so was uh, the senator from Illinois, Barack Obama. Well, why... Yeah. Why would why would why would that why would they not want to uh, do what's right? They did, and they wrote three letters to the World Bank saying, "Don't fire this lady." And I was fired, um, nevertheless. At which point, Senator Luger, Senator Leahy, and Senator By requested a Government Accountability Office audit. That was in two thousand eight, and the audit never took place. So then when it came time, uh, when the World Bank was requesting a capital increase from Congress, uh, the appropriations committees said that they would be remiss in giving a blank check to the World Bank. They said, as one of the conditions before the capital increase could be dispersed, that um, the effects of retaliation needed to, to be eliminated or that there had to be substantial progress. And they wanted a report from the Secretary of the Treasury about progress in um, in making whistleblowers whole. And so in, in November, uh, Se- Secretary Geithner lied to Congress and said there was substantial progress. So I went, first I went to the World Bank and I said, I want to be reinstated. And they didn't reinstate me. So that, that very day I marched off to the members of the appropriations committees and I gave them a statement, which is um, on the internet, saying that uh, Secretary Geithner was misleading the U.S., Congress. And Secretary Geithner left his job shortly after that point. And um, in the meantime, (laughs) the board, um, in settling my litigation, reinstated me. And then the firm that provides security personnel at the World Bank wouldn't let me in the door. Hmm. (laughs) So that's That's crazy. It is. So, uh, and okay, so let's go to your current status right now i i think that you have you were arrested tell us a little tell tell our listeners about your recent run-in with uh, eric holder yes um 
in April, April 19th, uh, that was when the spring meetings were held. And I have been in regular contact um, with 188 countries. I write to the ambassadors. I've mm-hmm. been in contact with members of the board. And I've been in contact with uh, uh, the chair of something called the Development Committee. That is the agency that represents the interests of the shareholders when the meetings are not taking place. There are two meetings every year. So I've been in touch with Dr. Merrick Belka, who's the uh, chair of the Development Committee, and he's also the president of Poland's National Bank. And I'm also in touch with uh, some other um, ministers of foreign affairs of of the various countries. In any event, um, on April 19th, I got a badge to go into the spring meetings. And so for the first day, April 19th, I met with some of the delegations. I spoke with um, the person representing the French government. I spoke with the Chinese delegation. And then the following day, when I went back in, presented my badge, uh, the, I, I, wouldn't, I wasn't allowed to go in. Hmm. This, the Secret Service was the group that thought they had the right to veto 188 ministers of uh, foreign affairs. So I called the various um, delegations from um, the periphery of the meetings. And then the following day, uh, that was the the third day, the first thing I did was I wrote a letter to the director of the uh, Secret Service, Julia uh, Pearson, I believe. And um, I said, you have no right to overrule the owners of the World Bank. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who make the decision about who's been reinstated, who comes right. into the meetings. And uh, and I cleared that with them. You know, I had their email addresses. And I said, if you have any corrections to make, let me know. And there were no corrections. And I gave that. Um, I had it hand-delivered to um, the office of the Secret Service. And then I thought I was going to be allowed to go back in. And instead, what happened was they had a person who was just, um, you know, a flunky at the World Bank, uh, sign a piece of paper barring me from going in. (laughs) And I said, this person has no authority. He cannot Mm -hmm. overrule the owners who are on the board of governors. And I then spent the following, the next week, um, you know, trying to get this, uh, this piece of paper, which was absolutely unenforceable. That person had no authority. And I, I was in contact also with the uh, commander, Michael Reese, of the D.C. police. And I, and I copied Dr. Belka. I said, if you think that this flunky had the authority to bar me from the meetings, you just ask Dr. Belka. And mm-hmm. when I went to go into the uh, World Bank, I was denied entrance. And then they called the police. And I said, what are you doing here? I, I just sent an email to um, to Michael Reese, why? Why? What is? What's going on here? They put handcuffs on me. They threw me in the police car, and you know it was quite a spectacle. Left me in front of the um, World Bank, sitting there for an hour, and I have hmm. a, a bionic elbow. It was really very un- unpleasant. They took me off and threw me in the jail in uh, the DC police station, and then um, sure enough, I'm supposed to go before the um, district attorney for the District of Columbia based on a barring notice that was signed by a flunky who had no right to overrule the valid security badge that had been issued to me by the the 188 countries that own the World Bank. And there are 
very serious conflicts that are going on with individual countries. So, for example, Germany, which has um, repatriated its gold or tried to, and then the Federal Reserve said, no, we won't give it to you for seven years. That's an act of war. So when you have this act of war compounded by this kind of, um, words fail me, I don't know how to characterize this, other than corruption. That's the right word for this. This is corruption. Well, it's it's uh, it's sort of more frightening to me than just corruption as I as I think of it. Although, I guess corruption can, I guess it it, it is derived when people don't follow the rule of law. And it's I think somebody's made the point that if you decide you you know if you if the government has the right to take your property, it probably has the right to take your life ultimately. But what I don't quite understand here, if I I mean, where does that may have been a flunky who signed this, but somehow somebody's pulling some strings here that that you have to appear before the attorney general uh his office i mean i i just doesn't doesn't quite i don't quite understand how it can be the chain of command or the chain of authority is not being obviously is not being respected right i think i forgot to mention that the group that um provides the security personnel is owned by this conglomerate the okay. network of control. So okay. these people think they're the power behind the scenes that runs the world, including okay, so, the various people at the World Bank. So where does Eric Holder fit into this? Is he a good guy? Is he going to follow the rule of law? Is he going to respect the World Bank's uh, authority? Okay, I'll tell you, um, I'll answer your question with a little anecdote. Um, I've been getting a lot of advice, and one piece of advice I got was from a lawyer in the United Kingdom um, who was very concerned. I testified for the UK Parliament uh, twice. Um, I submitted a written statement, which is up on the UK Parliament's website, and so this lawyer in the UK did not like this um, corruption indicting his country, Mm -hmm. and so he advised me to go to the credit rating agencies. And the credit rating agencies have had a front row seat to all of this illegality that I'm Mm -hmm. telling you about. And uh, so Eric Holder has been suing the credit rating agencies. And I think they just came to some kind of an accommodation because the credit rating agencies took away the watch that they had against the U.S. credit rating. I'm curious to see whether Eric Holder has dropped his lawsuit uh, against the credit rating agencies ah, failing yeah. to warn uh, in the in the mortgage crisis, um, right. but yes. So th- what we're talking about is we are talking about such corruption that it is um, has intimidated the very instruments of law, right? And the Congress. It has you know they they have under the circumstances you know many Senator Luger lost his seat. He's he's was one of the best. Proponents and the individual members of Congress know that when they stand up against this group, all of a sudden their uh, opposition candidates have their coffers filled. And I mean, what what happened in the presidential campaign was I tried to get a question on corruption when we were talking about foreign affairs because mm-hmm. there's um, some very accurate um, uh, surveys that show that the American public wants their country to 
work together with other countries. They don't mm-hmm. want their country to be a scoff law. 75% consistently of the American public opinion would not accept this kind of um, illegality and corruption. This is not what they expect from their government. And, and so when they're not being informed about what's going on, this is state capture. And so I asked for the presidential campaign for I, CBS to have a question on international corruption. Mitt Romney's um, national security transition planning chief was Robert Zellick, who mm-hmm. had oh. been refused a second term because of this unresolved corruption at the World Bank. The World Bank board wouldn't have him for a second term. And, uh, and so Robert Zellick went to uh, the Senate and asked um, the uh, majority leader, uh, Harry Reid, whether he could be renominated. And Harry Reid said, no, no. But do the American public know this? No, Mm -hmm. they did not. And I tried so many times to have so many media outlets tell the American public. So when when voters are not informed about things that they have an absolute right to know or the fact that the credit rating of their country was being jeopardized by this corruption, Mm -hmm. uh, this is extremely serious. It, it, um, It qualifies the fabric of the democracy. Sure. No question about it. The credit rating agencies, and my engineer is telling me we only have a minute or so before we go to break, but the credit rating agencies then, uh, I mean, there aren't that many of them. There's not that much competition. We know what a horrible job they did uh, during, the, uh, during the housing crisis and, you know, leading up to and causing all the, all the corruption that took place in the, uh, in the mortgage markets, right? Well, are these credit rating agencies then probably controlled by this same group? Well, just think about the SEC, who is supposed to look after the welfare of the investors and right. what that does to the markets when the Federal Reserve is doing a lot of insider trading, which they are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, the Federal Reserve can do it. Perhaps some of the big major banks that I believe are attached to the folks you're talking about. And and people that listen to this show on a regular basis will not find what you're saying to be outrageous, although I think the mainstream would try to paint uh, your ideas as being outrageous. But those of us who have listened to many different people on this show, Dr. Ed Griffin, uh, the author of a wonderful book called The Creature from Jekyll Island that explains who and why uh, the Federal Reserve was really established and not the reasons it's given to the public. I think there's, there's an awful lot of collaborating evidence for what you say, uh, Dr. Hudis. We do have to go to a commercial break now very soon. I'm, I think we might have another minute or so, but I'm, I'm, I think this is just so, so important uh, that people understand. Silencing, it seems to me that silencing the opposition is what is going on, and not just in your case, but I mean, I, I think it's the whole notion of using the IRS uh, to try to uh, silence political opposition uh, is, a, is a frightening thought, in, if, to the extent that that's what's going on. You know, you have to be careful, though, because there's so many cross-currents. There's so much disinformation. I think there's so much information that is planted on the... Um, on the website, for or, or in the media, in the main media, I should say. For example, there was an article in the New York Times recently that was talking about people that come up with conspiracy theories, and it was basically suggesting that anybody that that would dare to say that there's some conspiracy or cover up or whatever, uh, they're sick. You know, they they have a psychological problem. I mean, this seems very much like what happened in the Soviet Union, the propaganda during those during those days, when the likes of Solzhenitsyn and other people were put away because. 
because they dared to oppose the regime. And so I, I, really, um, I really hope that, um, uh, that you uh, prevail here. And, and, you know, we're going to do whatever we can here. We're going to go to a commercial break and when we come back. I really want to focus a little bit more on, uh, on the role that gold may be playing here and confidence in the international monetary system because that's a, that's a subject that I think is so important. And I, I think the world changed very dramatically quite a few years ago, in 1971, when Richard Nixon unilater- unilaterally caused the United States to default under the Bretton Woods Agreement. But I want to talk to you about that and, and other things when we come back from the break. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Karen Houdis. Don't go away. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Karen Hudis back with me. Uh, Dr. Hudis has uh, been talking about her uh, her work at the World Bank and, and what seems to be uh, very, very unfair, but there's 188 countries that are, uh, that are a part of the World Bank, and it seems to me that uh, there, there is a group, a very powerful group, that's trying to silence 
uh, Karen because there's certain skeletons in the closet, perhaps, and uh, that they don't want to come out. She talked about the bond, uh, the bond uh, issue, and how they're not being uh, properly reported. Uh, people, countries, and people are being overcharged for interest. I believe she said, but in any event, there's there's corruption going on. There's money slipping away into probably into people's pockets that they that should not be going there and and some people benefit from that and and uh, to the extent the same people that have so much control over our lives that have uh, so much control of the corporate world and the media are in a position to make uh, the rule of law uh, come under some some uh, pressure and some danger and folks if we lose the rule of law then we lose our freedom and our liberty we lose our free markets we lose our ability to do what our founding fathers uh, wanted for us and that is to uh, uh, to provide an environment where we could have life liberty and the pursuit of happiness Karen really glad you could come back now let me ask you one thing you mentioned I, I just have to get into it right away so I'm sure that we cover this because this show uh, talks a lot about gold I happen to believe that gold is honest money the markets have chosen it we know through history that governments find ways to try to debase the currency they try to find ways to essentially reallocate wealth from those that created I like to say the miners the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, people that actually do things uh, that that create wealth, that create stuff that's useful to us. Uh, but if you put uh, allow governments and uh, banks and uh, to have the ability to create money, especially if they can create it out of nothing, they don't have to dig it out of the ground. They can just run right now, run computers. Mr. Bernanke's doing that. Uh, creates trillions of dollars out of nothing and and uh, bails out the banks and, and lets those guys go free, essentially, and all kinds of corruption. You talked about corruption in the World Bank. We certainly, enormous amounts of corruption that took place in the United States in the housing industry and the credit rating agencies that overlooked and allowed and, and called things AAA uh, credits when, in fact, they were anything but that. Um, well, so here we are now. Uh, you mentioned uh, gold and the fact that the Germans have requested 300 tons of their gold to be delivered to them. And the United States is saying, oh, we can do it, but it's going to take us seven years or something like that. What's, what's up with that and why is that important in this overall scheme? You know, you talked about the credibility. The United States is losing its credibility. Does that have something to do with the U.S. loss of credibility in the eyes of many of the, those 188 countries? It absolutely does. Uh, before Germany asked to repatriate its gold, they first sent some people over just simply to inspect the gold, to see mm-hmm. the gold, and mm-hmm. they were denied. They were denied that, and huh. then uh, the inspector general in January sent um, a paper report to Germany saying he'd looked at the books where the schedule of gold was listed. And according to him, the books looked okay. <laughs> and then it went oh. on for four pages with, you know, the fine print. Uh, and, and that was when Germany asked to, to have its gold back. So, but, the Germans um, wanted to, so the Germans wanted to audit, have an audit of, you know, there's gold in, uh, I guess it's in the uh, basement of the Federal Reserve. There's some at, uh, if there's some at Fort Knox, I don't know. There used to be. We never hear about it anymore. West Point has some gold. So there's gold, but it's, it's in the United States, but it's, it's not necessarily all owned by the United States. It's owned by various countries. It was stored here during World War II, a lot of it. And now those countries want to take possession. They'd like to have it back on their soil, right? So there's other countries. Venezuela has asked for it. There's other countries that have asked for it as well. Yes. So, so, so what happened was then that the Germans wanted to have an audit 
and we they were denied the ability to go in and audit, and then they were just told, trust us, trust us. They were given uh, a piece of paper that was an insult. It was If you read that, it's on the Internet. I can uh, mm-hmm. provide that to your viewers. As a matter sure. of fact, you know, um, one day I was uh, going into the library, and I got a phone call out of the blue from um, a person who publishes – uh, a precious metals newsletter. I don't know if your listeners know Tacoa da Silva, but um, that was when I started really understanding um, how powerful gold is in mm-hmm. the resolution of this issue. Because mm-hmm. now that you, um, so many people have gotten so rattled by what happened with Germany that uh, they've demanded immediate possession of their gold. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a run on the bullion banks, and so um, immediate. Delivery of gold is very problematic, and uh, I forget which of the um, gold exchanges. Uh, no, this was a silver exchange. They just they just closed shop. They they just um, weren't able to meet the physical demand. And when you get into this difference between physical demand um, and and backwardation, yes. you can run the risk of permanent backwardation. And the reason I ran into problems with um, Eric Holder at the World Bank was because, you know, I get these um, emails and phone calls and people were were pleading with me to do something to get this thing resolved before we go into permanent backwardation, which will close down international trade as people lose confidence in the, in the U.S. dollar as an international uh, currency for paying uh, trade. And the biggest, I think the biggest challenge right now uh, and the biggest tragedy um, is that it's a, a lot of the um, the loss in credibility for the U.S. is becoming irreversible. And as an example, and also as an example of how the uh, whistleblowers work together behind the scenes, I had um, published, you know, I had sent to the whistleblowers a statement that I was going to be issuing uh, just in advance of the spring meetings. And the whistleblower from India alerted me to this, um, the BRICS Development Bank, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and uh, South Africa. They are going to be setting up their own separate development bank, which is going to use uh, barter for the financing of trade. And they're going to be using, um, giving surplus dollars back to the United States. And these countries together account for 25% of world trade. So this is an enormous slap in the in the um, in the sustainability of the dollar as an international currency, and I don't see this being rescinded. So, Karen, this, yeah. Karen, why have the uh, why have why has there been an inability to to deliver the gold? Why can't the United States deliver those three hundred tons? It wouldn't take seven years to put the gold on a ship and send it to Germany. I think you'd have to ask Ben Bernanke that. (laughs) I think that this probably has something to do with the fact that there is a problem with the amount of physical gold that's at our disposal, although I don't know. But I do know of one thing that happened, which was really quite um, how to describe it. I think the best way to describe it is Mickey Mouse. Um, It's it's an attempt to discredit me. You you know, I have a, a Facebook and somebody had put a story up on my Facebook saying that there was a convoy of gold going out of Fort Knox. And it was going to take them seven days to get all the gold um, removed. 
And I looked at that and I thought, gee, that's strange. Why is that on my Facebook page? Yeah. So I didn't do anything. And then the next day, somebody forwarded me um, the URL to that same story that had been put up on somebody somebody's external website. But they said, be careful about that source, Karen. That's that's not known as a credible source. Right. And so what I did was, you know, I have regular um, discussions with, with the various um, governors. So some of the states are now... Um, having legislation which recognizes gold and silver as legal tender. Uh, some of the other states are starting to have their own militia. Um, they're very alarmed at what I've been telling them about yes. how difficult it is for this, um, the rule of law in the United States. Right. So that's, that's, that's a very good point. So 300 tons. Well, we know that the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, it's a nonprofit organization uh, that we've had members on this show talking, and they have maintained all along that the large bullion banks have, uh, have leased gold out into the markets in large amounts and that uh, at much lower prices. Uh, and, uh, and, and that the, uh, in some cases, various central banks around the world have pretended that the gold is still in their vaults, but in fact, it's a gold loan that they've made. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so there, there may be some, some games that are being played. It almost certainly seems to be. Now, we know that ABN Amaral defaulted, was not able to deliver gold uh, against the paper, uh, paper markets. And, uh, and James Sinclair uh, has been talking also about the possibility uh, that, in fact, uh, the the futures markets will disappear because uh, of of the lack of confidence. And so people are he actually sent a very out. alarming newsletter out about a month ago. He told his um, subscribers to get out of the markets at all with yeah. all due haste. Absolutely, and he's suggesting that. Uh, uh, and we've also had uh, an attorney on this show named Ellen Brown, who suggests, by the way, that uh, demand deposits are in trouble in the United States because, in fact, you are a lender, uh, an unsecured lender, when you put your deposit in the bank, and that what happened in Cyprus could very well happen in the U.S. as well. Well, you see, Karen, the rule of law. I mean, I'm telling you, you're the lawyer, but it's so clear to me that when the rule of law breaks down, and and this is what concerns me, and I just hope and pray that everything goes well with you when you face Mr. Holder uh, in a couple of days from now. Now, or his office, I should say, because uh, if the bad guys, and I say the bad guys are the guys that think they are above the law, they don't have to obey the law, if they have the guns and they have the ability to uh, to do certain things to us, then, we are, then we've lost everything that's been near and precious. And the reason that, that people thought at least they were going overseas to fight wars was to protect uh, the rule of law and, and something that we in America had that we were, I think, for quite a while... There was a reason why people trusted us in in America. We had that privilege at the at your at the uh, at the World Bank. You talked about I forget the uh, the credibility. What well, well, the gentleman's agreement, the gentleman's right? Agreement, yeah, right. Uh, but if we've abused that, as we have with our currency, we have uh, we have the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, and yet we're bastardizing the currency to use in a very unpolite word. But it's it's really destroying our credibility by creating money and and as as my uh, previous guest pointed out, you know, we accuse the Chinese of 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 not being honest about their currency and their currency uh, value, their currency. Well, what are we doing when we're creating trillions of new dollars out of thin air? So, um, Karen, I want to have to ask you before we uh, before we say goodbye today, uh, for sure, because I want to make sure that people know how can they follow your work and support what you're doing? Because I think what you're doing is so so important. 
well, just um, get in touch with me. I've got a contact uh, form on my website, www.kahudis.net. But I wanted to say um, that I have every reason to think that we are very close to a rule of law solution. This stakeholder analysis has been very much on track. And I can tell you uh, the the, the um, members of parliament in the United Kingdom are not shrinking violets, and they are very much alerted. And many of our attorneys general, I've been dealing with them. I've been corresponding with them. I've been updating them. The same for the members of the um, Board of Governors of the World Bank. I've been in touch with them. Uh, I've been in touch with the whistleblowers in the World Bank. I do think that we are on track for rule of law. Just think about the power of a cover-up getting uncovered and the citizens in the United States realizing the um, this story has been withheld from them, and it has. And many people are learning about this story and, uh, and the fact that, uh, yes, they were hoodwinked, they were yeah. duped. Um, so I, I don't think we're that far from a solution, actually. Um, I think we're pretty close to one. I I think the values of the American people are fundamentally good. I think we're – I mean, just look at um, when uh, when people were describing uh, the Americans as a a young continent. Mm -hmm. uh, They would describe how active we are in our civic organizations. That's Mm -hmm. why I was very active with the non-governmental organizations. It's because they have found that there's a correlation – between the vibrancy of the non-governmental sector, the, the uh, volunteer um, aspects of a country, and its rule of law. I, I don't think we're that far away from uh, a strong rule of law in the United well, States. Well, I'm really glad. Just the end of a cover-up away, and the cover-up is ending. I really hope you're right about that, Karen, and I hope that when the cover-up is disclosed and, and revealed that we get to the heart of it and who the people are behind it. Those, those large number of the small, relatively small number of companies that have so much interlocking board control of, of 60% of the, I think you said the revenues of uh, corporate America, we need to find out who those people are at the very heart of this, people that have been willing and able to defy the rule of law, and I honestly believe that uh, uh, that dishonest money, uh, the debasing of the currency in the U.S. dollar, uh, is has been an, a great enabler of a lot of bad things that have gone on. But in any event, that's that's my editorial opinion for whatever it's worth. I, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Karen Hudis, uh, for being with us. Uh, I really will be following your work and, and commenting on it and perhaps having you back on again. And, and best of luck uh, when you go before Eric Holder's office in a couple of days. Thank All you. the best to you. Thank you very much, Karen, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back after the break with uh, some closing thoughts on today's show and next week's guest, which, by the way, uh, are somewhat, it's somewhat related. Sean Feeler, I'm sorry, Sean Feiler, uh, is very much involved with the move that Karen talked about, and that is to put, uh, to allow governments to, or, or to legalize gold and silver as legal tender in various state governments. Don't go away. I'll be right back after the break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Gold and Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it certainly is always uh, good to hear people that are optimistic because I think, um, you know, we look at some of the problems that are going on uh, in this day and age, and we sometimes get a little bit depressed. But you take a person like Karen Hudis, who is um, optimistic uh, that uh, that when the truth comes out, uh, things can be sorted out. I hope she's right. We've had other optimists on this show, like uh, Bob Hoy, who says he believes that uh, the markets will force a return to, or, or what he calls the markets will force a, uh, a turn to a bull market in common sense. Well, I, I hope that Bob is right. I hope that Karen is right. Um, you know, Karen has a lot of reasons to be optimistic, I suppose, because she has an awful lot of friends uh, in, uh, you know, influential friends. Uh, she's very well known. She has all the credibility in the world. Uh, I guess the only thing that's missing is for her to have uh, to gain uh, that credibility in the mainstream media. I mean, this is... It's it's just the way it is. Perception is reality, as my friend Jeff Dice says. Uh, uh, perception in politics is reality. Perception in this world is is reality. And so, if you're only seen on the internet and not seen on the major news media, sometimes people don't take you uh, as seriously as they should. Interesting that uh, next week I should mention uh, before I forget that next week's guest, uh, Chris Martinson, is going to be back with us again. Chris Martinson. Uh, is very concerned uh, that the housing market uh, may be in some trouble again. And uh, Chris is a, a very, very much a forward thinker, uh, saw problems arising in the housing market before most people did, changed his life uh, accordingly, not just because of the housing market, but because of the bigger problems that he saw. And uh, Chris also has some real concerns about the um, about fracking, uh, the oil uh, development, uh, the, the development in the oil patch and the energy sector right now. Uh, so even though his views 
are in contradiction with our first guest, uh, our first main guest today, um, uh, Len Lansdendorf. Uh, Len wants to see us go really uh, very, very aggressively towards oil and gas, and he believes that could be a game changer for the country. A lot of people think that. Uh, we're, we'll talk to Chris Martinson, who might have a little different view. Chris, I know, previously talked about how he fears that uh, the very short life of these uh, fracking projects uh, mean that we could be going through an awful lot of our resources in very short order, and especially if we start exporting it, uh, it could be even uh, more of a problem in many ways. Uh, because if you go to li- liquefied uh, n- natural gas, you you lose a great deal of the energy just in the process. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier when I was talking to Karen, yet we're going to have Sean Filer. He's the president of Equinox Partners. Um, that's a New York-based hedge fund. And he's also the chairman of the American Principles Project, which is involved in getting states to pass laws to make gold and silver legal tender in their respective states. And, you know, Karen uh, Hudis was just talking to us about that. Very interesting. What's happening is a lo- a loss of respect for uh, for authority among the uh, uh, among government that is so far removed from the people. I think that's the key: is that government is so far removed from the people. There's been all kinds, of, all manners of corruption has crept into our system. Much of which I think is really uh, would not have been possible if, we, if Richard Nixon had never taken us off the gold standard. But then, when I ask. Um, uh, Robert Prechter about that, whether things would have been different. He said that Nixon had no choice. In fact, the American people demanded an easier life. Uh, and so we go through these cycles in history. Hopefully it's a short cycle. Uh, we talked about cycles. We did very well also with Charles Nanner. Keep in mind uh, Charles Nanner's excellent work. I'm told that I'm out of time. That's all the time we have today. So until next week, uh, let, uh, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.